The following message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning worship service. Today it's a privilege to have one of our elders, Mike Jones, bring us the Word of God today from Galatians 6, verse 7, in a sermon entitled, You Grow What You Sow. Turn there now and let's join Mike for the Word. I'm Mike Jones, to start. Uh, I met my wife, Virginia, at Pomona First Baptist Church. We met in the college career department, and uh, our first date turned out to be the night Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And we were married a short time later. We lived in the San Fernando Valley at that time. We later uh, joined John MacArthur's uh, church. Or After we were married, we moved out to the valley. While we were in the San Fernando Valley, we were members of John MacArthur's church. From there, we got the bug to move up to Oregon. We lived there for several years, and it was while we were in Oregon attending a small rural church that I felt God's call to go into ministry. We ended up going to Canada for our studies. We remained in Canada for 20 years. I pastored two different churches, and in between those two churches, we worked for Briarcrest Bible College. And while I was pastoring uh, my last church, it became necessary for us to return to California to help take care of our parents, who are now very elderly. Virginia's mom had had a stroke. We needed to come back to California to help take care of our parents. And so I hope that'll help you fill in some of the pieces as I talk today because I'm going to be covering a lot of ground. How do I make this start? There we go. What you sow is what you grow. I started working when I was 15 years old at a Schwinn bicycle store. I... uh, went in to actually put a bike, the one you saw previously there on layaway, and the man who owned the store was uh, a Sunday school teacher at Pomona First Baptist, and he asked me if I would be willing to work for him, and that was great for a kid that was 15 years old. And I worked there for several years, but uh, a few years later, I was beyond riding a bike. I was now driving, and one day after, one day we decided, uh, some buddies and I, to uh, ditch school. I think it was my senior year, and we, I had my dad's 56 Chevy. It was a gorgeous day, and we thought we would just take off, go to the beach, and have a good time and cut school. We went down to the beach. We were having a great time cruising around, spent some time on the sand, jumping in the waves. And uh, But I had to be to work at 3.30. And uh, we left in time. I thought we were going to make it, but... At that time, the trip from Pomona to the beach was through the old Corona Expressway, and traffic slowed down. It wasn't working, and I realized that we were I wasn't going to be to work on time. So I pulled off, got to a phone booth. We didn't have cell phones in those days, and made a call to Wes, my employer. And uh, I told him I had been home sick all day, and I wasn't going to be able to come to work. And I got off the phone with him, and then I called home. And I uh, made up a story that uh, I was, um, well, actually, when I called, the line was busy. So when I finally got through, my mom says, where have you been? And uh, obviously, I hadn't been at home sick all day. While I was waiting for the, be able to get the call through, Wes had called home to find out if I was actually home uh, sick. 
And uh, so I lied to my mom then and said, well, I had actually been kept after school and I didn't want to tell Wes because he would give me a big lecture for, uh, you know, my behavior at school. And I didn't want to tell Wes because, you know, he would give me a big lecture. So I continued to drive home. And meanwhile, my mom wanted to smooth things over. So she called Wes and told him how I had been kept at school. Well, Wes, in turn, <laughs> called the school. And no, Mike hasn't been here today. Uh, he, was, uh, he was not in school. And uh, so by the time I got home, I had this real mess on my hands. And uh, my mom drove me down to work that day, and I had to confess to Wes uh, this whole story I had concocted. My uh, driving privileges were suspended. I went from riding that 10-speed, or riding, <laughs> driving my dad's 56 Chevy to riding that Schwinn. And I learned an important lesson that, that day. I didn't learn it entirely, but you reap what you sow. And uh, that's going to be the topic for the message today. What you sow is what you grow. And we're talking about sowing. We're talking about um, planting and reaping. We would use the term, we're going to plant some flowers or uh, plant some uh, garden vegetables. But in farming terms, that's called sowing. And reaping is when it blooms or when the crop comes up. And what's true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. Galatians 6-7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Now this is a divine principle and it can go either way. It can have negative consequences. There's a negative aspect to it. There's also a positive aspect to it. The farmer has a choice of what he's going to plant. When I pastored churches, I was in rural Canada. I was in the breadbasket of Canada, surrounded by wheat fields. It was all agriculture and farming. And a farmer has the option of planting barley or wheat or flax, canola, whatever. And he has a choice. And we have a choice, too, of what we're going to sow. I want to give credit today to uh, Dr. I can't see that far away. John Lawrence is a professor at Multnomah Bible Institute, Bible College, and uh, he wrote a book called Down to Earth, The Laws of the Harvest. And what I'm going to be sharing with you today, I didn't learn until I was 30 years old. When we lived in Oregon and I worked in a little church, I worked with the youth group. I took the youth group to Multnomah School of the Bible in Portland so that they could get exposed to what uh, Bible college life was like. And out of that whole group, I was the only one that ended up going to a Bible college. And I'm indebted to him for uh, his book. I sat in his class that day. He uh, gave some of these principles, which whet my appetite to learn more. I bought the book and uh, what I'm going to share today. uh, I've seen in different formats from different authors, but uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. These laws are absolute and unchanging. They're true whether you believe them or not. And uh, we can see how this plays out in the life of David. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11. <clears throat> We're familiar with the story of David's moral failure. 
and reading from uh, chapter 11, verse 1, 2 Samuel, chapter 11, and beginning at verse 1. And then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and when she came to him, he lay with her, and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. One of the laws of the harvest is that we reap in a different season than we sow. David's soldiers were 50 miles away in battle. David was back at the palace in Jerusalem. And as he arises from bed, he's out walking on the perhaps the wall of the uh, palace. And um, Bathsheba wasn't doing anything wrong. In those days, uh, houses were built so that there was an open courtyard. There might have been a cistern where there would be water available. And she was out there bathing. She would have been secluded and in private because the walls of the home protected her from her neighbors seeing anything. But from up on top of the palace on the hill looking down, David had a different vantage point and his lust consumed him. And he sent for her and committed adultery. And when that's over, she goes his way, he goes back to his work. And he thinks his sin has gone unnoticed, but God was watching. When we think we can sin and get by with it, we think sometimes because we've done something and the shoe doesn't drop immediately, we think God isn't watching, and yet we reap in a different season than we sow. Look down at verse 5. It says there, a a little time has gone by because she realizes she's pregnant, perhaps two or three months later. And David only made things worse by trying to cover up his sin. He tried to get her husband to come home from battle, go spend some time with her, so that it would look as though he was the father, that Uriah was the father. So David sends word by letter to his general Joab. He says, Joab, what I want you to do is put Uriah out there on the front line. And uh, I want you to put him in the fiercest part of the battle. And then when the battle gets really thick, I want your soldiers to withdraw. And of course, that took Uriah's life. So David tried to cover up his sin, and that's usually one of the other problems with sin is there's the cover-up. He just made things worse. And that leads us to a second principle of the harvest is we reap exactly what we sow. When the farmer plants wheat, he expects to get a wheat harvest not canola. He can be certain that whatever he plants, he's going to get exactly what he put in the ground. You may remember an old movie, it was about 10 years ago, I think, called Secondhand Lion. And these old guys decided, to, they'd been traveling the world, and they decided to settle down. They bought this farm property. 
And some traveling salesman had sold them a bunch of seed, and they planted a garden, and they were expecting carrots and lettuce and all kinds of things, but it turned out that all the envelopes had the same seed in it, and it was corn. And so the crop they got was corn. Well, when a farmer puts a crop in the ground, he expects to get exactly what he planted. Well, David got exactly what he planted. David committed adultery, and he committed murder. And so how did David reap? Well, flip over to chapter 12. And we'll, be, and we'll read from verse 1. Then the Lord said to Nathan, Nathan was a prophet. Excuse me, I said that wrong. Then the Lord sent Nathan, Nathan was a prophet, and he sent him to David and came to him. There were two, and he tells this story, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with ranching and sheep, a ewe lamb is a female sheep. This is especially important because this ewe lamb has the potential to reproduce. And if that ewe lamb has other ewe lambs, this is a chance for this poor man to get out of his poverty. So continuing on in verse 3, he had this ewe lamb which he bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. And he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. And it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little... I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall not depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives from your before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. So David committed adultery and he committed murder. And Uriah says, You killed with the sword? The sword's not going to depart from your house. You killed Uriah. The baby born to you is going to die. We forget to think and remember that sometimes our sin affects innocent people around us. Many people get hurt. Why why a baby? Why would this baby have to suffer? Because Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come through David's line. And he can't come through a line that's tainted. And so that baby 
would give up its life because of David's sin. You committed sexual sin in secret, but your sin will be manifest on the palace rooftop. And how did God's word through Nathan come true? David committed adultery. Amnon raped one of David's sons, raped Tamar. Absalom had relations with David's concubines. So that repeated itself. It multiplied itself within his house. David has Uriah killed. David and Bathsheba, the babies, dies. Absalom has Amnon killed for raping his sister Tamar. Joab, the general, kills Absalom for trying to kill, um, for trying to take David's throne. And Joab is killed by Benaiah, a bodyguard of Solomon. All of this pain multiplied time and again, reaping exactly what they sowed for the sin that they sowed. God's word came true. You say, well, what about grace? I mean, don't, that's Old Testament. Don't we live in the age of grace? Well, can remind ourselves that we're looking at Galatians 6, 7, which is a book all about grace and Christian liberty. But when you look at verse uh, 13 of chapter 12, again, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David confesses there. And the Lord has taken, then Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin, you shall not die. David had God's forgiveness, but David was going to reap the consequences for his actions. And though we may have committed sins and God has forgiven us, we've made bad choices, we still may well have to bear the consequences for the things that we've done. And remember, our sin always affects other people. And that leads us to a third law, and that is that we reap more than we sow. We've already seen that a little bit. But a farmer plants a crop expecting his crop to multiply. He expects to get more than a one-on-one return. This is a picture of a field full of wheat. Uh, I brought this souvenir back from Saskatchewan, where we lived. And uh, these are... Uh, wheat stalks, heads of wheat. Uh, each one of these bega- began with a little seed. But in this head, this is called the head of grain, uh, there's a whole bunch of seeds. And so when it's time to harvest this off, uh, this chaff is separated from the kernels on the inside. Those kernels are uh, what break, uh, makes your bread. And that's where we get our flour. And so it's a principle of multiplication. We expect to get more than we sow. David reaped more than he sowed, as we've seen. Uh, Innocent people were affected. And David lived with the guilt of what he did for most of his life. If you want to see a broken man, read Psalm 51. David said, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. If you want to see a broken man, Read Psalm 51. If you're ever trying to confess the Lord, it might be a good place for you to start. David said, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. I've had to bear the consequences of my sins. I shared a little story in the opening about uh, the little episode of cutting school and lying to my employer. We... uh, 
moved from the San Fernando Valley up to Oregon, and we had been in a good Bible church. A group of from our Bible study had gone up there about a year or so ahead of us. And unknown to us, while they were up there in Oregon, they had been busy basically destroying churches. They kind of went with the idea that we had the truth and we were the only ones that did. And they went to one church and uh, made it very difficult for the pastor that was there, and they were on a second church when we arrived. And uh, later on when I saw what was going on and what they were doing, we, we had to distance ourselves from those friends and cut off that relationship. But the sad thing is, I should have stuck up for the pastor. I should have been more willing to be confrontational to the friends that were creating so much trouble for him. Edmund Burke said, the only thing for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing. And I'm not saying that I was a good man, but I should have been more supportive of the pastor and his ministry. He was a young pastor and his wife. They come from Dallas Theological Seminary, so his theology was okay, I hope. And um, we should have been supportive of their ministry. And uh, we separated and went our own way. I went to another church, and um, we just never had the Bible teaching that we had had previously. Well, fast forward the tape, and now I've gone to Bible school, and I'm in my first church. And that principle of sowing and reaping came true in my own life because there were people in in, uh, the church I pastored that uh, had their own ideas of ministry. They weren't supportive. In fact, the church had a vote of confidence every year. And uh, in the first several months that we were there, a couple of factions in the church had been busy polarizing and picking away at my ministry. That first vote of confidence, which which was in April, we were asked to step out so they could take the vote. We figured the vote would take place and we'd be back in 15 or 20 minutes. That started at 7 o'clock, and at 11 o'clock, Virginia and I drove home. The church was like split right down the middle because people who should have stood up and uh, supported us didn't. And I found that sometimes in life you have to forgive not only the people that have done things to you, but also the people that you thought should have stepped up to the plate and defended you. And I wasn't fortunate to have a board like we have here at Rancho Baptist Church who knows their role is to protect the pastors. After three years, it was clear to me that uh, while I always received the vote of confidence in the church, I didn't feel that the church could really move forward uh, because people weren't willing to deal with those who were uh, not really prepared to be on board or deal with their sin and, and their issues. And I left, and it was heartbreaking. It was devastating. In a way, I reaped what I sowed. After I had returned, uh, we worked at the Bible College after pastoring that church. A few mo- four or five months after we were back, and I'd been out of the ministry, heartbroken, I went from handling the glorious gospel of grace to washing dishes at the college restaurant. 
I wrote the two pastors of the various two churches we had been in and asked forgiveness for my part in what uh, took place during their ministry. And within a month, I received a letter from the church I had pastored. They had had a revival, and they were writing. to ask forgiveness. Think of all the pain and heartbreak and all that went with that because of choices that were made. Not even pastors are immune from reaping what they sow. I did go on to pastor a second church. It was a completely different experience. The congregation was loving and accepting. We worked together. In the few years that I was there, we were able to uh, evangelize with a small town uh, where 4th Street was the edge of town. Uh, it was such a small town. You say, how small was it? Well, it was so small when you run your electric shaver, the street lights dimmed. <laughs> but it was a completely different experience, and, and it was a, a growing time, but it was also a healing time. It was like book ends. Everything that I'd hoped would have happened in the first church really came to fruition in the second church. And so the good news is that God is also in the restoration business. He's able to take those things, even when we've failed and we've made poor choices, he's able to take them and turn them around for his glory. And so we have hope. Another law of the harvest is we can't do anything about last year's crop. I can't go back and unscramble the egg. I can't go back and change anything that's been done, and neither can you. And a farmer plants his field, and he puts the crop in, and he sprays it, uh, and fertilizes it, and does everything that he can. Uh, sometimes the crop is destroyed. There may be a lack of rainfall and drought, and that kills the crop. Sometimes a hailstorm can come and just take all that, all this wheat and just completely lay it over. And when that happens, the crop is gone. But the farmer can't do anything about it if that's what happens. But he doesn't give up farming because farming is his life. And he'll be out there next year if that happens. He'll be talking to, with his friends uh, during the, the downtime, uh, figuring out what they're going to plant the next year, and he'll be right out there doing it the next, year, the next year because farming is in his blood. He knows he can't go back and change the past. And we may have to accept things that we've done in the past. We may be living with the consequences for some of the choices we've made, but we don't give up. We move forward. We accept God's grace and God's forgiveness, and I believe God and his grace can help us work through dealing with some of those consequences. I just want to inject, I think sometimes as believers, we struggle with our past because we fail to accept the forgiveness that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. David had to live with his sin. He said, my sin is ever before me. But David was able to accept the forgiveness of God. He says, wash me, cleanse me with a hyssop, and I'll be whiter than snow. When we fail to accept God's grace and his provision in Jesus Christ, we really impugn the efficacy of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When we say, I can't forgive myself, when God has, you're placing yourself as a higher authority than God. 
And I'm not saying for you to be flippant about your forgiveness. Uh, I've heard Christians say, well, I know God doesn't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know God will forgive me. Sorry about that. Because I know God will forgive me. That's, that's um, uh, what's the word I want? I can't think of the word I want. But anyway, we are imposing on God. We want to accept the forgiveness that God provided because it's complete in the blood of Christ. And you know, when I wrote the letter back to the church expressing my forgiveness, all I could say was, it's under the blood. We need to accept the forgiveness. If uh, the enemy is beating you down with your past, you've confessed that, God has forgiven you. Don't keep buying into the enemy's lies and failing to move out and and take on responsibility in the church because of your past. God's forgiven, and he wants you to be restored and to move forward. And David's kingdom was restored. David's uh, son went on to inherit the throne, and the Messiah came through David's line, through Solomon, and there was restoration. And we can't do anything about last year's crop. In the same vein, we can do something about next year's crop. Regardless of what happens with our crop, regardless of what's happened in the past, we can begin planting new seed, and that's what we do with the choices we make today. And the good news is you can plant anything you want. Uh, Galatians 6, 8 says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What you sow is what you grow. In the laws of the harvest, there's either rewards to be gained or there are consequences to be avoided. And this is a whole other sermon, which I don't have time to go into. But this principle all... all, 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 (laughs) These principles also apply in the area of giving. There is one who scatters sparingly, and he reaps sparingly. You think you're going to have more by holding on to that whatever in your wallet? You're not planting it, therefore it can't. Ah. And the one who sows bountifully, it says, will reap bountifully. It may be that uh, you need to get a hold of a good little book called Giving God's Way by John MacArthur and uh, brush up a little bit on the area of giving. But that's another topic and another subject for another sermon, but it also applies in the area of giving. But what we sow today is going to determine the crop weeks from now, months from now, years from now, and it all depends on you because what you sow is what you grow. It goes on to say, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. I didn't write this into the sermon, but one of the points in the book is also that we only reap if we persevere. You've been working in Awana for years, and you're wondering, is it really worth the time and effort? You're going off to teach a Sunday school class, and you're tired of it and thinking, maybe this is the year for me to get out of it and let somebody else uh, step in and step up to the plate. We reap if we don't grow weary. But what we sow is what we grow. And the choice is yours. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is so clear, but sometimes is so hard for us to understand. I pray that as we go from this place, we will uh, take this with us and begin to think about the choices we make. Perhaps the habit that we have formed that's uh, a bad habit that we need to break before judgment falls on us. The good things that we need to be investing our time and our effort for you, investing it here in church, uh, working with kids, working with youth group, being involved in the life of the church and planting some some seeds that will uh, reap a harvest in the future. We thank you that you love us and that you're willing to forgive us. Help us to accept your forgiveness where we failed and to move forward, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we are so glad that you chose to listen to us today. Our mission here at Rancho Baptist Church is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and who live to reach their world for Christ. If you have any questions at all regarding this particular broadcast or this sermon, or if you just want to know God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to contact us. You can call us here at the church at area code 951-676-2911. That phone number again is 951-676-2911. Or you can contact us on our website at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's ranchobaptistchurch.org. Trust that you have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you walk with Him.